The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. It is the first day since that thing happened. Um, well, it's the first recording. Well, our first recording, yes. It's been seven uh, days. From what you remember of last uh, sh- last week's show, do you think I was very surprised? I don't think I don't think you were surprised. I wasn't surprised either. I had multiple people asking me my opinion, and I told them that at this point it was too late. Uh, obviously, I was hopeful. But no, I don't think you were surprised either. And the way they were playing, the way they played games uh, one through six, (laughs) I mean, there were some moments in there. I mean, the fact that they went to Florida and won two in a row and were up three games to one. But games one and two were terrible. Yeah. Like they they legitimately could have put the AHL team on the on the ice and had an at least equal chance of winning. Um, games three and four, definitely better. But quite frankly, despite the fact that Taylor Hall put on the cape and was frankly fantastic, and Brad Marchand put on the cape and was... Yeah. And was aggressively good the whole time, and Grizzly came in and kept... Mostly um, McAvoy from being a complete and utter disaster. You're forgetting one other superhero. Which one? The one that's probably not coming back, even though I desperately want him to. Tyler Bertuzzi. Bertuzzi looked good in the offensive zone for most of the series. Uh, He did have a couple of turnovers. I don't think any of them were nearly as bad as Pasternak's and... I'm sorry. Uh, McAvoy's Everybody on the team had turnovers. Uh, I I hate that argument, but there's there's <laughs> turnovers and there's turnovers. Um, but legitimately, people have asked me, you know, where the Bruins go from here. Uh, I I have, without exaggeration, and I'll say this cool and clear headed. If whoever's in the general manager's office had the stones to do it, and I don't anticipate this happening, but if whoever that person is had the stones to do it, the best thing the Bruins could do would be to trade both Pasternak and McAvoy. Pasternak, due to his contract, even though he is who he is, uh, no, con- his contract. Not- I don't contract. care about his contract. I care about the fact that he's limit- never had a good playoff run. But it limits where you can trade him to. Uh, he's still someone will still take him. I'm not guarantee saying they won't, someone, but guarantee not- you someone will still take him. At, you won't even have to do hard, do much to do it. I understand that. And I understand where you're coming from with trading him because I don't know. Uh, playoff Pasternak is not the same as regular season Pasternak for whatever reason. 
they are two different players. Charlie McAvoy, I don't know if regular season and playoff pot, regular season and playoff McAvoy are too different. I think they're the same, but they're the same. The difference flawed. is that teams get a chance to study him and they know what he's going to do. They know how to make him they know how to take advantage of his fairly predictable behavior. I mean, there's so many people rumored to be traded. And I mean, we said, like I told you pre-show, my brother came to me and said, what's this rumor I'm hearing of Brad Marchand's going to be traded? Well, as I answered him, if Bergeron retires, if Krejci retires, is it a possibility that Sweeney goes through some sort of mild um, kablooey and trades Marchand? I don't see it happening because I think that Bruins faithful will rebel. You would have to do something amazing and quite frankly, wildly unlikely in order for Bruins fans not to rebel at that I get more people because I'm because I'm the goal because I like goaltenders and I I pay attention to goaltending. Uh, I get asked a lot about is Olmark going to be gone and well there's I a better chance of, there's a better chance of Olmark being gone than there is of Marshawn. I didn't want to say it, but I actually think there's a reasonably good chance that Olmark is gone because Swayman overall played pretty well. Um, in his one year. game. What? In his one playoff game. I, I'm talking about more more over the season. They need to make room for – they need to do something for salary. Like they need to shed salary. It's, it's not a we'd be better off shedding salary. They need to. I'm not disagreeing with that statement. I don't, but a $5 million a year goaltender. I don't know that that moves the needle. I understand that the Bruins only have the one really big contract, which doesn't kick in until next year in pasta, but I don't, I don't know. Do I think Olmark's gone? I, I get the feeling that Olmark's going to be gone, and unfortunately, he's going to be saddled with the blame for this particular playoffs. I I only blame him to the extent that he should have told whoever what his issue is, because you can't you cannot convince me that you can use the word debilitating. I know, and, and still genuinely believe you're a better option in net than a guy who played really close to what you did all year. I just don't understand why he won't tell us what it, I mean, I'm not saying he, he's worried about it being considered that he's using it as an excuse. I want to know, cause I want to know if it's really debilitating and right now to come out and say that, you know, it's debilitating or whatever, but then not tell us what it is, makes it sound a little fraudulent. I, I, if it wasn't debilitating, it was pretty damn close to it. 
because watching him attempt to get up off the ice at times was painful. Uh, <laughs> I mean, my mother is going to be 85 in a couple of months and she she can get up off the floor at least as well as he was getting up off the ice. With the and and this will be my last comment about well, I know we're going to talk more about it, but with the number of times and I don't know how he would have gotten away with this in today's sports environment, not just the NHL, but with the number of times that he was hit in the head by various things, not just pucks, because he took a couple of pucks off the mask. He took a shoulder from Kachuk right to the face. He got cross-checked uh, up close to the mask. The number of shots he took to the head area, I'm wondering if there wasn't some sort of concussion involved. But again, like I said, in today's sports environment, how do you get away with that with the way they watch for concussions? But there was something going on. Either okay, that or- in the playoffs, there's not the the protocols around concussions are not as strict. They're they were very specifically written differently than the regular season ones. Um, because there were and- times. There were times on camera where or where they would camera would focus in on his face and he just eyes are like dotting around. I don't know. He just didn't look 100 percent focused. And and that's not that's aside from the physical stuff the the having difficulty getting up off the ice. The, The the lateral movement was still there. I mean, the way he dove across and actually took that one shot off the mat. I mean. I guess if you build up enough energy because you know you have to do it. But there was clearly physical limitations in this game. I, I, I don't think that any single player can be blamed for this. I know this is I truly a shared blame. What? This, no, I was going to say this is truly a shared shared loss where he where Omar had said we win as a team we lose as a team. Unfortunately, everybody wants somebody to blame, wants a scapegoat, but this goes from head coach, goalie well, coach down to fourth line minus like three players because I really don't want to blame Marchand, I really don't want to blame Hall, I really don't want to blame Bertuzzi. <laughs> but can you blame? I mean, can you put the blame on Coyle? I don't think you can. Can you put... I I don't know that you can put the blame on Hathaway. You can't put the blame on Grizzlick. If if we're portioning out blame for this series, and it sounds like we are... It does sound like it. (laughs) I I have to put at least 25 or 30% of it right on on Montgomery's uh, shoulders. Yeah, I'm not ready to fire him yet, sorry. I'm not saying I'm firing him. I'm saying that he has the portion of the blame. Oh, and I just said that. It it goes from the head coach on now. Montgomery made some decisions that I question, like going back to the traditional one goaltender for the playoffs instead of going alternating the way you did through the regular season, which clearly worked. Worked. Yeah, um, I would put and I would take 60 percent of the blame. 
and put it squarely on the shoulders of, in order, Pasternak, McAvoy, and Olmark. Olmark for not disclosing his injury to the team and for being and for taking the net when he shouldn't. He shouldn't he should not have been playing in those games. I said it in game one, I said it in game two, I said it in game three. He should not have been playing in this series, period. If he had taken one or two games off, maybe he can come back healthy if they still end up at a game five. But he's still not even the biggest concern among players because I genuinely 100% believe and know that if you took an average right wing and an average defenseman uh, playing in this postseason and put them into the ice time that McAvoy and Pasternak had, you get less turnovers and you don't lose uh, at least two of the games that you lost. Because between them, they had close turnovers to Allmark in those first five games that resulted in, what, five or six goals against? Mm-hmm. You, you can't tell me that the rest of the roster can't come up with five or six goals. Assuming that you replace them with absolutely average players, not all-stars, not not elite players who are at or near uh, oh, individual award winners, average players, the number of turnovers is probably half of that, and they win at least two of those games. By the way, speaking of rumors, I saw, or I thought I saw something about Pasta was dealing with a shoulder injury during the playoff. So everybody's got their little... Look, everyone's injured by the time the playoffs arrive. I get it. No one's playing their best hockey. I understand that. I'm not here to. I'm not here to argue against moving pasta. If it can be done, I just think it's going to be more difficult than you're letting on. And yes, there will certainly be somebody willing to take him and willing to take the eleven million dollars. But I think the the size of the contract does limit your options. Um, I'm not, I will make no claim that it would be an easy contract to move. Um, but I, I think particularly if you look at some of those players, some of those teams who are, who know they're not going to win the draft lottery and who can't afford to be, can't afford to be at the bottom of the league forever. Um, and who are hoping that if they get a high-end player, it will attract more high-end players. Um, I mean, I don't think Chicago has the capital. Well, I don't know that Chicago would make the trade if they if they. Um, I don't know if they're in a position if they don't end up with a top three. Yeah. But they have a lot of draft picks. They do. Maybe. And I think what that you, they I think, you, I think what, that they have higher priorities in a forward. Okay. Maybe Ottawa. 
particularly if they get a new owner who wants to make a splash immediately. <laughs> Ottawa could turn into Ottawa could turn into Toronto with a slightly better defense. They need to uh, focus on goaltending, but that aside, maybe you could trade them Olmark. Um, and I, I think that once we see what the fallout in Winnipeg that's actually not a- and Calgary uh, is going to be, it opens up more possibilities because that's going to cascade. Um, that actually wasn't I, – that was clearly off the cuff. I had no thoughts of saying that, but – Omar to Ottawa is actually not a bad idea. Except he'd, you'd be playing him in the division all the time. Yeah. But their their goaltending is Cam Talbot. And I think a bunch of backup singers. Yeah, Matt Sogard, Kevin Mandelazy, who may actually be their best going forward at the moment. Levy Marilainen. How about how about Omar to LA? They traded for Corpusalo. That's not gonna happen. Um I don't think Corpusalo has that much time left on his contract though, does he? That is what I'm pulling up right at the moment because I do not have that information off the top of my head. Uh, Corpusalo has, uh, I'm looking at it now. Um, Corpusalo is a UFA at the end of the, well, the end of the postseason. Yes. They do have Cal Peterson at 5 million for two more years. If they could find somebody to take Cal Peterson's contract, they probably would. Because unfortunately, Cal has, he's got to get out of his own head. He probably needs a change of location. He's better than he's shown. The problem is that every time they make him the number one, he stumbles. When he's when he was Quick's backup, he was ridiculous good. And the minute they made him number one because Quick just wasn't there anymore, he stumbled. They had to bring Quick back in as the number one. And then they actually sent him down this year. He was playing part of the year in, in the AHL. So, I don't know. Cal Same might Jose? just... San Jose is all over the place with goaltending, don't they? Have Reimer and they have Reimer and Capo. Oh, Capo Kakinen from Minnesota. Uh, Capo Kakinen is ungood, which is sad because he was not necessarily ungood in Minnesota. And Reimer is a UFA, and Kakinen is Kakinen is at two and three quarter million for next year. Um, I know. I know we didn't intend to turn this into Bruins talk, but in all honesty, my main concern isn't so much with trading Omar because we have to trade Omar. I'm worried about trading Omar because I liked what I saw from Brandon Busey in, in Providence, but I'm not ready to make him the backup yet. And I understand that Swayman's going to need a contract and he's obviously going to get a raise and he's an RFA and, you, you clearly want to at some point make him the number one, but I'm not ready to make Busey the backup. I, I want to see one more season out of him in Providence. He's only so, 22 himself, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, yeah, I'm, they would have an incredibly young uh, D tandem. Which, by the way, goes back to 
the whole, well, we traded Vladar because we didn't want to go into the season with Swayman and Vladar as our tandem. But There's now you're willing to go. certainly going to be a veteran UFA who is who is serviceable for 25 games a season. But now you like that's not a concern to me. Okay. Is it someone who's going to be fantastic? No. I'm just thinking if that's the case, then why trade Olmark away in the first place? How much are you going to save on on a goaltend uh, at the goaltender position? Because you, million. I don't know. You've got to give a raise to Swayman. That's that's still separate. You you're going to be spending money on a backup regardless. Not if you have Olmark already there. You've already you already know what he's going to cost. You give Swayman a raise up to what three and a half four. If you give if you give Swayman four and you're paying a backup one, you're still spending less than you're paying right now. What backup is gonna get one? (laughs) Again, it almost doesn't matter because it could be. I mean, you could bring back Elliot and he could play a couple of games here and there, and you get you you use Swayman heavily. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with you for now for time <laughs> time reasons, but no. <laughs> I mean, in terms of UFA goaltenders, I mean, Quick will be out of the contract. Freddie Anderson, Bernier, Talbot, Jari. You can bring back Dobby. <sighs> That's not happening. Mackenzie Blackwood, probably going to be available, although I don't think you'll get him for one. You're not going to get him for one. Um, Martin Jones is just a no. <laughs> uh, you know, so Yaroslav you do have, Halak. So you might, do have standards. Okay. <laughs> Yaroslav Halak, you might have to pay one and a half, one and a quarter, but. What did he do in New York this year? What did anyone other than. Uh, I don't. I no, I'm just curious. I'm just curious what measuring stick for anything. I'm just curious what his numbers were like in New York. That's all. Uh, he had a better year than he did in Vancouver. Um, he Good. was a 903 in 25 games um, behind the Rangers. Okay. That's and that I was just up curious. from 17 games in in Vancouver. Um, and basically what he had in his last season here in Boston. Okay. But the other guy who's really interesting in that UFA goaltender list. Mm-hmm. Listening. Uh, he made one and a half this year, 908 save percentage behind a not good defense, uh, but an exciting team. And passed through the Boston system for about 24 hours at one point. Greg Anderson. Yes, the bad, the 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 best bad team goaltender ever. <laughs> Could he make his return to to Causeway Street mm. for the first time? For the last time, yeah. For the first time, actually play a game in a Bruins jersey. <laughs> in a Bruins. 
because uh, he's I don't even think they assigned him a number. He wasn't here long uh, enough. I, look, I'm not even sure if he ever actually physically made it to Boston. Same thing happened with Martin Jones. <laughs> he never actually made it here. <laughs> but he was he was actually a Bruin longer than Craig Anderson was. <laughs> yes. He was about a week. <laughs> I mean, he's got a career 912 save percentage. His 908 this year was definitely better than his 897 the year before. If you can put him in, if you can put him in net for call it twenty eight games, yeah. You, and and wow, what would he do with behind a defense that actually knows what it's doing? How many times have we said that? And you don't have to sell me on him. I mean, I was I was the one person touting Elmark's positives coming out of Buffalo. The fact that he had the nine seventeen save percentage or whatever it was behind yeah. that defense. If you you can put him into 28 games next year out of the 82, that leaves 54 games for Swayman. I think Sway can make the jump from the 40 and change to 54 without breaking down. My question is how much you are going to have to pay Mr. Anderson? Again, he's making one and a half. He made one and a half this year to actually get to actually get a shot to be on a playoff team again. I, I think you wouldn't have to pay him any more than that. Okay. Um, okay, let's dive into the rest of the stories because uh, we have already spent a good chunk of the show on the Bruins, and that wasn't in the plans. Um, so round one, the Bruins basically never got out of bed. Uh, round two... The Devils seem to have forgotten how to play in the in the postseason again. Yeah, I don't know what the heck's going on there. I mean, and how I missed Akira Schmid, I mean, as I said, following goaltenders is what I do. And how I missed Akira Schmid, I don't know. But wow, in the first round. And now here we are in the second round. And it's not that he's looked human the rest of the team just i don't know it's almost like they got out of the first round and they went okay we can relax well someone hit the factory reset button on them and yeah it's like they don't have the muscle memory of playing in the playoffs anymore i mean um i don't know what it when when lindy ruff pulled akira schmidt during the during the first game he actually, as he as he was coming on, you know, skating over to the bench, you know, skating off the off the ice, getting on the bench. Apparently, Lindy gave him a gave him a fist bump on the blocker or high five on the blocker or whatever, just to let him know that he wasn't pulling him out because it was his fault. He was pulling him out because he had to do something. <laughs> but apparently, he smiled at him and 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 gave him kind of a fist bump and told him that it what you know. It, this isn't on you. Don't worry about it or something like that. Uh, just to obviously settle him down. I mean, Akira Schmidt's a young guy, if I'm not mistaken. I believe he's only 22, 23 himself. But yeah, yeah they. No, I don't Akira know. Schmidt's actually a little bit older than that. He's uh, mid twenties, I think. Oh, okay. But still, I did. I mean, he's only. This is only his second year in the league. 
point being that yeah, I don't know what I don't know what's oh, going no, on. Oh no, he is twenty two. You're right. Um, I, I was thinking of someone else. But anyway, it just yeah, the, somebody hit a reset button on them. You know, the factory reset or or that reset button on your router that kind of throws everything for a loop. I I don't know what that's all about, but yeah, they the the team that was able to take on the Rangers and. <laughs> And now they're playing the Hurricanes, and the Hurricanes are not having the most difficult time with them. And it's the whole team again. It's not like it's one player just filling their pants. Mm. They just don't look like they know what's supposed to happen when they do something. Um... Okay, everyone who had Paul Maurice and Sergei Bobrovsky as two of the most impactful personalities <laughs> of the playoffs, <coughs> please raise your hand and tell me what tonight's lottery numbers are. And then stop lying to me. <laughs> because there's no way that anybody picked Sergei Bobrovsky. I was surprised because – when when they were like, oh, you got to go with Alex Lyon over, or should you go with Bobrovsky? And everybody's like, you got to go with the guy making ten million dollars a year. And I'm like, no, you start Lyon. <laughs> Lyon's the one that got you there. Bobrovsky was the one sitting on the bench, um, twiddling his thumbs. You don't go with Bobrovsky. They didn't have a choice when they finally did go to him, but. He was clearly not there. So if you're going to tell me that he was going to be the most impactful, you're lying. <laughs> and as far and and yeah, Paul Maurice. I don't know. I I was surprised when he left Winnipeg. I I figured there had to be other reasons for it because he is a solid coach. I I I do like Paul Maurice. He's got a little bit of grit to him. Uh, he's not quite John Tortorella, but he's kind of like John Tortorella light. So to pick him as impactful, I can see it, but not to the extent that he's had on these playoffs. I mean, if they were if someone were going to initiate a postseason coach of the year award, he'd have to be in first place. Like legitimately, he'd have to be in first place. There's. There's just no. I don't know. I mean, he's as doing much as more with this team than in one year than he ever did manage to squeeze out of the Winnipeg Jets, which says more about the Winnipeg Jets, apparently, than it does about the Florida Panthers. Because. No, go ahead. I mean, the Winnipeg Jets were a couple of years stronger favorites to win and clearly made it into the playoffs easier than than this year's and then this year's Panthers. Western Conference final a handful of years ago against uh, an upstart Vegas Knights and were ex- they were expected to win if I'm not mistaken. Um I I'm just having. But I do have one other 
I do have one other name for consideration since you're going to – because, yeah, Paul Maurice could be first place, but I think right behind him, and I mean like breathing down Paul Maurice's neck, would have to be Jeff Haxtell. And it pains me to say that because he was terrible coaching Philadelphia. He was terrible. I I think that we're starting to see that it's not always the coaches starting ball. to have proof that the difference between an okay coach and a really good coach um, isn't as big as we thought. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more to the chemistry between coach and locker room um, when you have a functional locker room. See, I, I thought we saw that with Gallant as first coach for Vegas. The 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 bond and the chemistry that had to happen between team and coach for an inaugural team to go to the Stanley Cup final. He didn't just stand behind the bench and the okay, go ahead, play away. He he didn't have to be John Cooper. He had to actually coach. John Cooper can stand behind the bench and just kind of wave a wand and be like, okay, you guys know what to do. Go ahead. Yep. Just do this. Yep. Okay. But Hackstalls had to do the same thing, and that's why I'm more impressed with him because you're talking about a second t- second year in the league, second year in the league head coach. I mean, second year in the league team behind a head coach that doesn't really have playoff success. If I'm mista- if I'm not mistaken, I like Paul Maurice, but he's been to the playoffs before. He's taken Winnipeg to the Western Conference Final. He's got some experience in that, but for what he's done to pull that team together when they struggled mightily in the playoffs last year under Brunette. Or was Maurice in charge then? No, they. No, Maurice parted company with his old team last summer. Okay. Um, so. I, I, I see what you're saying. And it's not no, that. It was to your point, the, 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 what you were saying about the, the, chemistry between coach and team has to be there. And I was backing you up. Uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm thinking about what you were saying uh, uh, about Hackstall. Um, I guess it's, I mean, some of it is, some of it comes down to talent. I mean, if you asked me in a vacuum, play three, seven game series with each of those two coaches coaching, um, the opposite team at least twice who's winning more often. I still think the Panthers roster is better. And I think part of that is because they have more difference makers between Montour, Forsling, Losterinen, and um, obviously Kachuk. Uh, I think that there's just a little bit more verve yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like what Hackstall is doing. It's that team is super scrappy. I just, I, I mean, I described the, the uh, Florida Panthers as the most reminiscent of the Tommy Cross era. Boston <laughs> yeah, you said that. Eagles. Um, <laughs> that was... And 
everyone I've said that to out off the show has been, yeah, yeah, because they're a counterpunch, rope-a-dope specialist. It's not that they can't score. They don't score when they're, you know, when they have the puck and they have control in their own zone, but they love counterpunching. Like, it, it makes their whole night. Like, legit. They... You swing into their zone, you get you make a mistake anywhere, and they are up ice five, uh, you know, ten skates aimed at the net um, in no time, mm-hmm. and the puck is in the net. It's they score off the rush or within that first ten seconds of being in the zone, a very very high percentage of the time. And if you make a mistake leaving your own zone, forget it. You are host. Uh, yeah. Series Dallas. Dallas. I, you know, I, I think Dallas might be the team to beat of everyone who's left. I know a lot of people are going to talk about Edmonton, and it's hard to overlook Vegas. Uh, but Dallas, to me, when you look at all of these other teams, and yes, they had various reasons. There were trades, there were injuries, there were whatever. Dallas was the most consistent team from from the opening puck drop to the last whistle all year, and they played consistently in the playoffs. They haven't. You haven't said, "Oh my God, they've had two horribly bad games in a row." what happened to Dallas ever. You just, it's just not a thing. Um, so there, when you, when, when you have a guy at 38 years old and he's scoring all four of your goals in one game and thereby setting yet another record, this season has been full of records. That in itself is is pretty impressive, and I mean, good luck to Joe Pavelski. I mean, it, it's, Joe Pavelski is absolutely he's, absurd right now. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out. I don't. Yeah, I I genuinely wonder if players haven't discovered the fountain of youth somewhere because. There are guys in their very late 30s who are playing as well as they did at 27 or 28 who were all-stars then and are all-stars now. Um, and it's just it's just mind-boggling. Um, I mean, we, both of us, have been hockey fans for a very long time, and conventional wisdom has always been, you know, Players hit their offensive peak at 27, 28 years old by 31 or 32. They're on their way down. And by 33, 35, they're either out of the league or just a role player. And and then we have guys like, you know, Pavelski and Bergeron and even, you know, Kopitar. And it's just... It's just absurd. Yeah. It is over the top. There is a fountain of youth going on somewhere. I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere. 
because these guys just keep playing. And, and I know that Bergeron's considered it last year, but has anybody has has anybody heard Pavelski say he's even remotely interested in calling it a day? Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. I haven't heard anything, nor have I read anything that indicates he's ready to call it a day. <laughs> uh, it, <sighs> and if you're going to score four goals in a playoff game, no less. And and again, he's not doing it against a team that dragged their or that dragged their way in and doesn't know what they're doing. He's doing it against a team that won a playoff series against a solid opponent, not Seattle's. Well, considering they managed to knock out the number one seed in the West. Yeah. Wait a minute. Were they number one? Yeah. Colorado. Well, even if they weren't, I mean, they're still the defending Stanley Cup champions. Yeah. And yet Seattle knocked them out in seven games. Uh, Oops. On the same night that the Bruins were knocked out. Yeah. Oops. (laughs) So, yeah, you're not doing it against the you're not doing it against the cupcake. There are no cupcakes in the playoffs. (laughs) There's certainly not. There's there's none left by the second round. You don't play well in the first round and you're gone. Um. The Golden Knights and Oilers got had a special nasty game last night. I turned the game uh, on it. I looked at the game at one point and it was five nothing. Uh, Edmonton and there were fights all over the ice. There were guys paired off. Uh, Kane was on top of Colasar throwing body shots. Um, Why am I not down on the ice. There were like three other guys throwing punches uh, or three other sets of guys throwing punches. Um, there's not, there's no love lost between those, these two teams. And this is what the playoffs are supposed to look like. You're not supposed to like your opponents during the series. I don't care if they were, as has been the case in the past, the best man at your wedding over the summer. Okay. You don't need to like your opponents. You need to win. Agreed. Um, and of course, Drysidle is been redonkulous. More so than his counterpart, yes. It almost doesn't matter if you're trying to cover these guys with your best players because their best isn't going to be good enough. (laughs) It's ridiculous how much their playoff savvy has grown over the last two seasons. The thing is, Seattle found a way to shut McDavid down in the first game. I they mean, did. Limited, um, his, limited his number of shots, kept him to the outside. For the most part, I think he I, – I vaguely remember seeing him once around the net where Grubauer just was able to cover the puck and it was – but for the most part, game one, they kept him at bay. I don't know what happened after that, but – I was beginning to think Hackstall was a genius, and then game two happened. I went, well, so much for that. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. like, Wait, no, I'm sorry. Oilers. Who, who, Oilers are 
No, they are playing Se- in Seattle. Why am I keeping this? Oilers in Seattle, and the Sears is tied 1-1. No, no, no wait a minute. No, it's Oilers Dallas, are- Seattle. Dallas, Seattle. I'm confusing my playoffs now. Okay. Yes, you are, and you're confusing me too. It's Vegas and Edmonton. <laughs> and Vegas was able in. Vegas was able to keep McBay. Not Seattle was able to keep. I don't know. I'm confusing my playoffs. I got to stop and reset here. Mm. Um, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I like. I am genuinely impressed with Dallas. I am. I don't know if I. Are they the team to beat? I don't. I. For me, no one else has been more consistent. Like, none of the Western Conference teams have been as consistent. Um, Not throughout the regular season. And I I just have a hard time buying on on Edmonton. Their defense is 100% – is absolutely better than it used to be. But that's, you know, like saying that, you know, only being on fire on half of your body is an improvement over the whole thing being on fire. It's it's true, but I don't know that it's good enough. And how do you feel about the one? Well, we didn't really talk a whole lot about Carolina either, but the one team we really kind of avoided. Toronto. I think this is the real Toronto. I I think that, you know, (laughs) Toronto, I think Toronto and New Jersey in some ways are both experiencing the same thing. Yeah, I think they had they they climbed the mountain. Getting out of the undoable. And they don't know how to continue. They they managed to get themselves out of the first round. They expended so much emotional energy getting to this point that there's nothing left against the Panthers. And I mean, the Panthers are a very different team than facing the than facing uh, Tampa Bay. And the Bruins will tell you that, yeah. And they're also a very different team from facing Boston. And let's be honest. Toronto has Boston in their heads. Still? Still. They haven't played in the playoffs in several years. But if you asked them what their considerations were for getting out of or for winning in the playoffs, they would talk about, you know, well, we want to be able to counteract strength down the center and we want to be able to play as physical as that team and that team. And at some point they'd talk about, you know, well, we want to be really strong in the face-off dot. And you're talking about the Bruins at their best. So you don't think Florida's the the favorite coming in? Are you expecting a are you expecting that to change? I mean it, Florida could easily win. Florida could easily win the East. Okay. Because I think that the longer we talked about the um, we talked about the Carolina Hurricanes uh, based off of what was it? A we saw an article uh, in one of the uh, one of the less typical sports outlets 
uh, about them just not being made for the playoffs. Oh, yes. Uh, That was probably a month before the playoffs started. I still believe that. They've also had some injuries. So even if Carolina does beat New Jersey and they are up two to nothing at this point, the same number that the Rangers were up at one point. Um, I, I haven't sold out on the Devils yet. I'm I'm not sold on the Devils losing. Um, I'm certainly not going to buy into a sweep. Um, that said, I. I genuinely don't think that the odds for any of the eight teams left should be considerably different from the rest. Like if we end up with a Dallas, Florida Stanley cup final, I'm not going to be shocked. If we end up with a New Jersey Edmonton Stanley cup final, I'm really not going to be shocked. I'll be somewhat surprised, but I won't be shocked. What about a New Jersey Seattle final? Um, I think the genuinely the most shocking that could thing that could happen to me would be a Toronto Seattle. Really? I I view those two teams as no higher than third best or third best for winning in the playoffs of the teams left. Okay. I'm with you. You don't have to sell me on it. I just, I just think that is Toronto playing differently this year than they have in years past, or are we still seeing the same repackaged? We have a lot of offense. We don't have anything on the back end except for Ilya Samsonov. You know, it's. Is it the same repackaged? Austin Matthews has got a score. Mitch Marner has got to play out of his mind. William Nylander has got a score because we have to beat opponents seven to six as opposed to two to one. I think it's I think it's a little I think it's more of column A than column B. I mean, you go back and look at the scores for their six game series against Tampa. Game one, seven three, uh, Tampa Bay. Game two, seven two, Toronto. Game four, game three, four three in overtime uh, for Toronto. Game four, five four in overtime for Toronto. Um, they Tampa Bay came back and won four two in game five, and then game six it was a two one overtime win. And that and and that's making and that's making my argument between six games, they've played a total of eight games so far, and when scoring two goals or less, they've only won once. Yeah, they're not. They're they. I just can't buy. Like yeah. No, I, 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 I'm in on that. I can't buy it either. If you can't win a game, uh, yes, you, you game six, you won two to one in overtime. That's your one win where you only scored two goals. You have literally three losses where you scored two goals. So in, in a game where you can't score more than twice, 
you have lost more than you've won. That's not boding well for your defense. And in your wins, two of them you had to you scored seven goals. I mean, I'm sorry, one of them you scored seven goals. Uh, one of them you scored five. Uh, it, it, sorry, no. It, again, they're trying to put the whole the old ad. They're trying to put a new adage onto the old adage that you can outscore. You know, defenses win championships, but you can outscore them. No. Sorry. Not happening. Not happening. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not a fan. But we do have other stuff to talk about. Sure. Including something that irritates me to no end. Okay. Always, always happy to talk about stuff that irritates you. <laughs> I know. So, May fourth. A couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, the OHL announced sanctions against the Niagara Ice Dogs Hockey Club. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is in relations to the bullying and harassment and uh, prevention policy, the code of conduct. We might actually finally see some real movement in preventing destructive hazing. Mm-hmm. And on the surface of it, you know, a hundred thousand dollar fine to what's a marginal business is a big deal. The general, uh, the owner is Bard uh, Darren uh, Dobelier is suspended from acting as the team general manager for two seasons until at least June 1st of 2025. That means he not only can't do the job himself, he has to pay someone else to do it. On top of that $100,000 fine, it looks like a big deal. They forfeited their first round selection in the 2024 OHL priority selection draft. Okay. Still reasonably, still looks good. You get to item four of what the commissioner of the league has issued. Niagara Ice Dogs players Joshua Rosenweg and Landon Cato have permanently lost the privilege to participate in the OHL. Okay. I but, but they can play in other leagues. Well, they can they can play in the other Canadian hockey leagues, which is which is important um, to note. But guess how old these two guys are? They're twenty. This was an overage season for them. Yeah. Okay. I was going to actually guess like thirty-two or something. I figured they'd been around forever or something. Guess what else? Neither one of them is drafted. So we're not talking about Connor Bedard-esque type players. We're not even talk. We're not talking about guys who have a future in hockey in the first place. Banning them from participating in the OHL when they've already effectively aged out. That's not even a slap on the wrist. That's that's telling someone that they can only have one cherry on top of their ice cream. This is, this is why parents won't put their kids into hockey more than expense. It's this 
absolute fecal matter. Did they announce the results of, I mean, were these two found to be the only two that were doing this? That they were inve- they, they inve- the investigation interviewed uh, 15 people, okay. players, coaches, um, uh, staff, and, and over a period of several months. Months. These two are the people, be, uh, these two are the ones who have been found to be at fault and have permanently lost the privilege after the end of the season of playing in the OHL. Only because I'm reading what I'm reading in the, what I read and what I'm seeing again in the article is that, and it's in the paragraph above the, from the investigators report, it says Joshua Rosenzweig and Landon Cato participated in serious violations of player maltreatment policy and have violated OHL code of conduct. But it doesn't mention other players. It doesn't say there were other players involved. It doesn't say, are we, and I'm only saying this to play devil's advocate because personally, if this is going on, I'm going to guess that it's more than just these two, but I'm trying to play devil's advocate here and and play the other side. Is it possible that it these two are the worst of it, it, it that they or are they being scapegoated because they are overagers and it makes it easier to just target did Niagara in some way target that say hey it was just these two guys to cover up younger players I mean it, I, I'm trying to figure out how this because it is it is very fine point when you can pinpoint one or two guys and say, these are the problem, get rid of them, and we're all good. Um, I suspect that it's a, that these are the guys who probably crossed the line most egregiously. Okay. Um, And I suspect with it being two players, they were probably involved in it together. Um, If it happened this season, they, as the, as the mature adults in the room, in theory, compared to teams that, you know, have a bunch of 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds on them, that's what they're supposed to be. They would be setting a bad example. Um, and you think either way, I don't. If you're going to throw a book at someone, make sure it's not a matchbook. Fair enough. Because this is. This is just no, no. Um, but is 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 sitting is sitting Darren Dobbler? He, he's not a player, so you don't really sit him. Is pushing Darren Dobbler, the GM, to the sidelines enough? Should a GM have more? Oh no, I'm sorry. He's team owner. Um, my apologies. I'm calling him GM. He's the team owner. Well, in, in the OHL, frequently, a lot of times the owner is the general manager. It's fairly common throughout junior hockey. Okay. Because it's not it like it's not a huge margin business. And you're right. It does say down here, team governor, owner, and general manager violated the confidentiality directive of the league. So is it enough to just say he can't be GM for two years? He's got to hire somebody else now. 
is that enough of a punishment for this? I mean, should as well, owner, governor, and GM, the hundred K fine and the lost draft pick. I, I I find the punishment for the club more appropriate than I do the punishment for players. Okay. Um, that said, where they are aging out, I don't know what else you could do with them. Maybe you bar them from any from like any association with the OHL or Canadian Junior Hockey uh, in the future. You know, you prevent them from becoming coaches or training staff or anything like that. Um, but I I am not a fan of this this ruling. It's if something is egregious enough to to act upon. You you need to bury it. You need to bury it in pieces. And this is not that. This is a load of fecal matter. Fair enough. I I'm not disagreeing with you. I just I'm I'm trying to figure out why it was why what was done was was done. You're bringing an independent auditor, investigator, oh, whatever you want to call him, and I'm he not talks going to, to quite call this a whitewash, but the. The findings and the action and the punishment seem a little bit pro forma. Because let's okay. face it, these two guys, they're going to go get jobs working for their dads or their uncles or... Selling cars. Selling cars or something. <laughs> and it's not going to impact their lives at all. Let's move on. Um, yeah, I'm before the show we started about we started talking uh, about a change uh, at the Rangers. The Rangers. Well, they obviously lost to the Devils in the first round in seven games, and surprise, surprise, Gerard Gallant is out of a job again. It was a gallant effort or a gallant effort was just not good enough. You know, I you know, know. How we're talking about the locker room and the. Uh, I'm thinking this crap, but go ahead. Uh, uh, the locker room in Winnipeg being an issue and how the matchup between coach and players needs to needs to be a fit. Mm hmm. Looking at Gerard Gallant, I don't know if he's ever going to have a stint longer than like three years. I mean, you you go back to his his first head coaching gig. He took over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah. He was behind the bench for 45 games in the 03-04 season. He coached the 05-06 season, so there's a year off in the middle there. And then he was out after 15 games of the 06-07 season. Goes to the Q, wins two championships in three finals appearances in three years. Great. Makes it back to the NHL in Montreal. Two years as assistant coach. Moves to Florida. Out of the playoffs his first year. Lost in the first round his second year. 20, out after 22 games is what the start of his third year. Yep. Vegas, lost in finals, lost in first round. Out after 49 games, his third year. And then the New York Rangers, 
lost in the third round in his first year, lost in the first, first round in his second year, and gone. I, I, I think he understands. I'm a hundred percent sure he understands the X's and O's of hockey. I think that short term, he's probably pretty good at getting consistency out of players capable of giving it. I think that he's that his short his shelf life is probably about three seasons. Um, and when I look at the players on that roster, there's a lot of guys who are very good and not very consistent. I've talked about how much I like Mika Zabinajad forever, but he's mm-hmm. a guy who has two positions, who has two speeds, stop and fast forward. Yeah. Like there's, there's no play button there. It's stop or fast forward. I, I think that Artemi Panarin is slightly more nuanced, but Chris Kreider falls into that category. Um, I, I think that there's, I still want to see more of Capo Caco and Alex Lafreniere, hopefully with a coach that they'll actually get to know for like three or four seasons versus one or two. Um, see, Capo Caco, I think we're, I think we've seen what he is. Because if there's if there's more there and you're not willing to give a coach to give him an opportunity to play, yes, he's had a couple of coaches, but uh, if you're not willing to give a coach a chance, I mean, they missed four years of playoffs before they brought in Gallant. In his two years as head coach, they make the playoffs. And your response to that is to turn around and say, you know what, we're going to go in a different direction. I'm thinking that Chris Drury saw what other people have seen that Joel Quenville could possibly be reinstated by Gary Bettman, in which case his name immediately jumps to jumps to the top of every head coaching vacancy list in the NHL. Right, wrong or indifferent. And I think it's wrong because of what happened in Chicago. But if he is reinstated, his name jumps to the top of every list. And I think Drury saw that. Maybe he has some kind of information. I don't know. But you don't bring this guy in after not making the playoffs for four years, have him bring your team to the playoffs both years that he's there, and turn around and say, you know what, thanks for your service, you got to go. And yet it's happened to – it's happened like three times. And And the Vegas one was even worse because – they bring him in. He's head coach. First year, they go to the final. Second year, they don't make it to the final, but they make the playoffs again. Third year, kind of a 500 season. It wasn't a terrible season, but they weren't. They also had injuries at right, left, and center. I And yet, and yet they turned around and went, you know what? We're going to have to change you. We're going to have to get rid of you. I, I understand that there's a pattern and where there's smoke, there's fire. And any other colloquialism or, or phrase, uh, turn of phrase you want to use, I don't care. The guy has the chops. He goes in, he brings teams, he gets them to the playoffs, and yet for some reason he can't stick around. Yeah, obviously there's something there. I don't know what it is, but I think it's crap. The guy needs a landing spot, and he needs to be given more than a year and a half or two years or two and a half years. But 
whatever portion of this is on Gallant, he needs to figure the bleep out in a hurry. Because, like, he's probably got one more shot of two or three years before he doesn't get a job again. That's it. I do uh, like I do like this text about Gallant. It was a tweet that was sent out by Mark Schwag, and it's in the article that I I'm referencing for Gallant's terminating term, termination or mutual agreement. Uh, Mark Schwag wrote with Jared Gallant out in New York. All three finalists for the Jack Adams Award from last season are currently not a head coach. Yep. The other the other two being Andrew Brunette and Daryl Sutter, who was. Uh, summarily terminated in Calgary, which I kind of expected. I never expected he was supposed to be a stopgap anyway, I, if I'm not mistaken. They brought him in to kind of right the ship because the team wasn't doing so well. But he wasn't expected to be a long term. Like four years doing not much. And I don't think anyone expected him to stick around right. any longer. But I was, that, that one didn't surprise me. Gallant did surprise me. You look at, I mean, you look at Gallant's playing career, and yeah, he scored some goals. He scored over 200 NHL goals, had 480 NHL points, but he almost had, he also had 1,700, just under 1,700 penalty minutes. Really? Yeah. So you can be a physical player and score goals and get points. Yeah, he had. Uh, Damn. <laughs> Granted, okay, Marshawn I mean, does it, but you know. Admittedly, this his peak was in the mid to late eighties. Um, oh, okay. When hockey was very slightly different than it is today. Just a bit. Fighting was a little bit more prevalent, you know. <laughs> But as I said, you know, he is going to be 60 when the season, when the NHL season starts this year. Okay. Whatever portion of his issues staying employed are him, he needs to figure out. We've seen other coaches make adjustments to the way that they coached over the years. And if he wants to be an NHL coach, he needs to do it, too. Okay. Um, The two of us talked uh, off air after the show last week about having a round one all-star team. I went only with players whose teams made it out of the first round, which made it both more difficult and somewhat easier because it at least eliminated a few folks. So I'm going to start with my three honorable mentions. Mitch Marner. Um, oh God. Uh Oh, I don't, I didn't actually write them down. So uh, <laughs> never mind. okay. Doing it from memory. Yeah. Um, so my first two players on the team, I think the first one's a no-brainer. I think the second one's a no-brainer. Right wing, Kachuk, like, he was there. He made everything happen. 
in the first round. Um, Akira Schmid came in to a very shaky situation. 22 years old, very, very little NHL experience, regular season or postseason. Um, he had a total of 31, no, 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 uh, 22, 24 NHL games before the, before this postseason. Wait, did you just say Kachuk is on your honorable mentions list? No, no, no. All-Stars. I forgot All-Stars. I'm going to scrap the... Because I do actually have two honorable mentions. and uh, My honorable mentions list for a moment. Um, and so Kachuk and Schmidt are the first two players on my team. Who okay. The first one yours. Well, so far, and I hate to say this, but yeah, we kind of agree... I wasn't sure where to place him because he's listed as left wing, but as wing, I, I just kind of went winger, winger, but winger, winger, chicken didn't. No. Um, but yes, Matthew Kachuk definitely had to be just his play in the first round alone was, I mean, the way he impacted every game, the way he lived in Bruins heads, not necessarily Marshawn's, but there were a few where he definitely got to them. Although Omar was ready to take him down, which was most entertaining. And yeah, coming out of nowhere, Akira Schmid just stunned me. And like I said, I don't know how I missed it because I'm usually pretty good at picking up on these things, but he is coming back down to earth in the second round. He hasn't been terrible. He's still got a 921 save percentage and He's slightly over two goals a game average, I think, now, which is up quite a bit from the way they ended the Rangers series. But there hasn't been a better goaltender. I think the only one that even comes close, really, would be Ottinger. I mean, Grubauer's having himself, but he's numbers-wise, Grubauer isn't there. But I think Ottinger might be the closest. But, yeah, so I got Schmidt at goaltender. I got at one of my wings. I got Kachuk. Um, At my other wing, and this one may surprise, because I'm sure it's going to lead to some discussion, but my other wing. It's Phil Kessel, isn't it? It's who? Phil Kessel. Doesn't he have to actually be in the playoffs? Arizona didn't quite make it. I thought he was in Vegas. Oh, oh, that's right. They traded. He moved to Vegas. That's right. He is in the playoffs. Clearly, I'm not paying attention. Uh, He's also in the world famous uh, Cassidy uh, doghouse. So, oh, okay. (laughs) No, my my other winger is Tyler Bertuzzi. The I'm sorry. First year. First year, first year ever in the playoff situation. The man finished tied for the team lead in points. He wasn't afraid to go in dirty areas. He wasn't afraid to get physical. Did he have a couple of turnovers? Yes. Does the argument that everybody on the Bruins had turnovers? Some of them more egregious than others, whatever you want to say. The guy was a playoff performer. Compare him to the $11 million man, which one would you take in the playoff series? Right now, I got to say Tyler. Because 
he stepped up and I'm sorry, but his hands, which I knew were really good. His hands are ridiculous. Good. His ability to tip pucks and his vision on ice have been top notch. So yes, my other wing, I put Tyler Bertuzzi. Okay. Uh, my next two all-stars. Mm-hmm. Rupe hints. God, I wanted to add him as a, And it was a toss-up between him and Marner. Um, I think that in some ways what Marner has done was more impressive mm-hmm. because Hintz has done well in the playoffs before. Um, and But I, I just – Rupe Hintz just does not get enough press. He is so much fun to watch, so much fun to watch, and so effective. Um, next up, Palat. I think that he was he was the undertow for the for the New Jersey Devils uh, in that first round. Mm-hmm. And as much as I liked some of the other players, he his his influence without being the most notable scorer was still strong. Like you could see it every time he was on the ice, and I loved it. Two more. Uh, well, I've got I've got three because somehow I I screwed up the order. I apologize because I've got a center in both my defensemen to do. Yeah. Um, at center, and this guy kind of falls. This guy actually falls into the Andre Palat description that you just gave. But at 20 and a half minutes a night and being from the same team that Palat came from, I'm not surprised. But my center is Yanni Gord. Yanni Gord has been the – for Seattle, he's been that presence that, again, like Andre Palat, been there before, knows what it takes to get to that level. And he's been able to win faceoffs and lead that team. I, it's just, I had to include somebody from Seattle at, at, at one, when I was looking at the numbers and I, it wasn't just a numbers thing. He's only got eight points in eight playoff games. I mean, he's yeah. or eight in eight and nine, excuse me. They played nine. So he's slightly under a point per game, but it's the intangibles with him. And he has been rugged and tough. He hasn't, he's been physical. The stuff that you normally don't see on a stat sheet, he's done it. And being that team's most advanced playoff performer. I don't know that anybody else has been to a Stanley cup three times. I'm sure they have other players on there that have been there once because Vince Dunn was with Seattle was, was with St. Louis in 2019. So he's got a Stanley cup, but I wouldn't call him the leader that Yanni Gord has been. And so I, I put Yanni Gord in the center just for that. I like it. Leadership intangibles. Yeah, the numbers aren't as huge, and he's got more assists than goals because he's a distributor. 
He was a goal scorer in Tampa Bay. He's he's become more of the distributor in his role with Seattle. So, uh, yeah, he's grown, and I, I accept that. Uh, as far as my two defensemen, you want me to do both? Go for it. Um, <clears throat> again, this is the one time where I picked two players from the same team. And I don't know how you argue against this guy, but he – Killed the Bruins in the first round. Brandon Montour. I almost put him, but I didn't want to have an all Devils team. Uh, he's no, he's, he's not an all Devils. Uh, all Panthers. All Panthers team. I mean, he an all Panthers team. Yeah, um, he was teammates with Hampus Lindholm in in Anaheim. They played together in Anaheim. Montour was dealt uh, a couple of years ago. Went to Buffalo, and then he's traveled, but. Montour, the way he was able to affect the game on specialty teams as well as five on five, both defensively and offensively, I I couldn't not put him there. And the other guy has been a crazy workhorse for the Dallas Stars through eight playoff games, nine playoff, however many they've had Dallas. He's averaging just under half an hour a night per game. Miro Haskinen. Yeah, I... He has been ridiculous. I mean, I always thought Drew Doughty was the ridiculous workhorse of the defense score. And he's actually second behind Miro Haskinen. (laughs) Clearly hasn't played as many games because they've been eliminated in L.A. But uh, this guy has just been unreal. And that's my uh, Schmid, Montour, Haskinen, Kachuk, Gord, and Bertuzzi. Um, and let's see, the rest of my team. Uh, so I mentioned Kachuk, Schmid, Hintz, and Palat. Um, the two guys I had left, uh, Gustav Borling and Alex Petrangelo. I've always been a fan of Petrangelo. I will probably always be a fan of Petrangelo. You're not going to get an argument from me. He plays with my he plays with one of my favorites in Shea Theodore. So, and I just think that he's been a smoothly effective player again. He's been smoothly effective his whole freaking career. Have they still uh, not given him a, a a Norris Trophy yet? Um, I don't think we're going to make. I know it's not going to happen this year. So, um. And I think Gustav Forling just gets shortchanged. Forsling kind of disappears. Gustav Forsling disappears. And I don't mean it in a bad way. I just mean that his play doesn't get noticed. He does it quietly. And and I love it. Like, I I love you. He's... You don't have to sell me on that. Kind one. of a harbinger of doom, because <laughs> you know if, you, if you're hearing his name, your team has probably bleeped up and bleeped up hard, because that's when he scores. I mean, he had 13 goals in the regular season, and nobody was talking about him. Like nobody talked about Gustav Forsling, Forsling all year, and it's not even just. Like Montour, it's not even just that he plays 
a high number of minutes. It's not that he's a super like he's a super contributor offensively. This guy is great in all three zones. He skates well, and he's only 26. Mm-hmm. Just 318 NHL games. He's 26, and he's he might be one of the three. He might be one of the four or five best defensemen between like 25 and 28 right now in the entire league. Interesting. Okay. Um, no, you're not going to get an argument from me. Oh, and by the way, just very quickly, Petrangelo, I'm going to have to add him to my list of players who have not won a Norris Trophy, but clearly were deserving of one because the other one obviously being Shea Weber. But Petrangelo, in his many years, has never won a Norris Trophy. The closest he has come is mm, fourth, twice. Yeah, I I think he's one of those guys who's never going to win one. Um, but if you asked me a hundred times uh, wh- whether I'd rather have Petrangelo or McAvoy on my team. <laughs> McAvoy's not going to win one either. Come on now. I said it out loud. Can uh, we, can yeah, we erase I, that from the show? I don't know if I, I don't know if I can handle the blowback. <laughs> are you going to feel safe? I tried to say that with a straight face. It didn't work. Um, <laughs> but yes, absolutely. I did have a couple of names I want to mention real quick. We don't have to discuss them, but like I said, I had three honorable mentions. Rope Hints was one of them. Um, Mitch Marner was another one. I think that on the Toronto team, I think he's deserving because he's played out of his mind. And my third one, another Florida player kind of biased because I like him and I wish the Bruins had found a way to get him, but Carter Verhage has had himself a really good playoff performance playoff performance so far. Um, my, um, I have to put Taylor Hall into my honorable mentions. Dude I could put have on so the many because I can't argue with that either. Like, dude put on the cape. He did. Um, As did I, Marshall. Uh, it was just a whole lot of fun to watch him. Um, and then uh, out in. Why can't I remember his name? Well, where did he play? Colorado. Kel McCarr? Nope. Wasn't going to mention him. JT uh, Comper? Miko Rantanen. Yeah, Miko Rantanen did have himself a, a big, ser- big, big round one. Yeah, I, we tr- I try not to talk only about offense, but when you have seven ga- goals and three assists in seven games, it's time to talk about offense. Just a little bit, yeah. And yes, he was a plus four in a losing effort. A um, couple other things to run through real quick. We're running a bit heavy on time. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Borowicki has retired after 12 seasons. That's heartbreaking, uh, actually. Yeah, 12 seasons. The Tennessee is reporting it um, or reported it on the third. Got into 450, a little over 450 games. Um, and he was never one of those guys that was going to set records or break records or, or he was just reliable. 
Yeah, he you could count on him to be a menacing physical presence with smart but absolutely brutal hits. And he was uh, physical, yes, which we like here on the Two Minute Project. Um, not, I mean, his first three full seasons, he had a pretty heavy amount of pims uh, given his ice time, but. After that, he seemed to recalibrate with the league rules and dropped down to a pretty acceptable number for someone who hit played as physically and never left a player, an opposing player, unhit if he could uh, if he could manage the trick on a shift. Um, not sure what he'll do next, but uh, good luck to him and his family. Um, I wonder with all that he's experienced in the NHL if he might somehow get himself into a coaching Would not surprise me. Or scouting. Either one. Coaching or scouting track. I mean, just the – because it's always the guys like this that they they weren't like hugely statistically fabulous. But they're the guys who learned the game and learned it at ice level and – I'm just wondering if, you know, take take a year or two off, stay with your family, do what you got to do. But I could see him getting onto some kind of coaching track, just getting onto like a minor league team as an assistant and starting small. And Well, the Ice Rockets you know, need a general manager. He's only, do they? He, I mean, he's only 33. Yeah. Um, the Ice Rockets need a general manager. Interesting. Now, why do the Ice Rockets need a general manager? We talked about that the first <laughs> at the beginning of the show. Yes, I know. And we mentioned the Tennessean. Well, it's been a, this is it's now been 25 years uh, as of June 1st since the Predators came into the league. And man, has the league changed in those 25 years? Um, you know, just coming out of the lockout. Um, when everything was interference and interference was everything. And it was six, it felt like it was 85% of the penalty minutes in any given game to just what we've seen in adjustments, uh, like minor adjustments in, um, in faceoffs and, uh, the introduction of the trap. And I, I, I can't even articulate all of the things that have said, that have happened in the last 25 years. Um, but the one thing that I will say for Gary Bettman uh, out loud and without apology, he did a great deal of work to stabilize uh, the Predators and the Blue Jackets and a couple of the other new teams that came into the league where the team didn't own their French, uh, didn't own their rink and help set them up for better success because the Predators were a joke for the first several years they were in the season in the league. And once they got that arena deal and started getting that, having a safer revenue stream. Yeah. They, they improved greatly. Now Bridgestone is one of the scariest places for opposing teams to go and play. It's one of the places I actually want to go see a hockey game because the fan base is raucous and rowdy. Oh, I it's it's not on my bucket list. It's on my vacation list. 
like sometime in the next two or three years. What I didn't realize was when I thumbed through this art, just how, I, I knew they were good, and I know I like the Predators, and I've always, their defense couple, and, and we've raved about it. I wasn't aware of just how consistent they've been. I mean, their 698 points since the beginning of the 0506 season are fifth most in the NHL. They they've made the playoffs seven of the last eight years. Uh, one of three teams to post seven consecutive 40-win seasons. I mean, some of these numbers are kind of eye-opening. They're they're absolutely eye-popping. Um, I, I recommend that everyone find the article celebrating the 25 years in the Tennessean. Um, it's by Caleb uh, Webbington, and it was posted Thursday. Um, there's a Short picture. Read. Is that... Looks like Pecorino. Pecorino, uh waving his stick in front of a Powerball, uh, in front of the Powerball ad on the boards. Um, oh, that was the twenty. That was May tenth of twenty one. That was two years ago. Okay. Is that when he? Is that that was his last game? Is that when he retired? It may well have been. Um, But you popped in a story about Clifton. Yeah, real quick. I mean, I know that you and I are both big fans of him, and and considering he was making, if I'm not if I'm not incorrect, I believe he was making a million dollars this season, and it, yeah. he's a free agent looking to, looking for a little bit of a raise. But now all of a sudden, I I've come to read that uh, he's pretty much got the death knell from the Bruins that they didn't during his walking season, they didn't discuss contract with him at all or his agent. Uh, the fact that he could be in, in line for a boost up upwards up to 3 million. Uh, I'm thinking somewhere between two and a half and three, but, and the fact that he struggled in game five are reasons that the Bruins aren't going to bring him back. I see, like Allmark, I kind of had the sneaking suspicion that he would be uh, gone this year because as much as I personally would like it, I don't see them trading um, McAvoy. I don't see them trading McAvoy. I don't see them trading Grizzly. I don't see them trading Lindholm. I don't see them trading uh, Carlo. Um and money-wise, they almost have to move at least one of those players. I mean, you you saw what he was doing during the regular season. Career highs in stati- in, in all the statistical categories, point uh, goals, assist points. But he's played the most goals. He, he, it was the most consistent season he's ever had. He played in 78 games. He had one bad playoff game. After you sat him for three straight games, which is about the longest he sat all year. Yes. Look, that was that's one of the th- that's one of the reasons that I think that Montgomery kind of failed the test this year. He failed the test for. He, I don't want to turn this back into Montgomery thing. He failed the test for me because he changed the way he did things. I understand it's a playoffs; you have to adapt. But you changed the way you did things, and that got you sixty-five wins in the regular season. Ugh. 
Look, no, no arguments here. Um, I'm. I, I don't hate Montgomery, but I hope he can learn as much next year. Uh, I, I hope he's learned from this, this run. I mean, I can't imagine that he's at this particular point in time. It's still an open wound. It's still sore. Probably Don't care. That's when you need to get in and look at it. So you but can it's probably not when mistakes. he's it, he's not going to recognize what he's what he's done to grow. Right now, he's still figuring. He's still looking at it the way I would be. Is what did I do wrong? Where can I change? We're not going to see that progression that uh, how much knowledge he's gained from it until next season but yeah right now he's fo- he should be focusing on learning from it and not just it's still an open wound but anyway yeah no I just I put the Connor Clifton one up there because I know that you and I are both fans and it, it just kind of hurt a little bit that after finally getting himself a, a, a full season and a full consistent season in the NHL to turn around and because he had one bad game in the playoffs and because he might get a couple of million dollars, he's going to be gone. It hurts a little bit. I've said it for years. I hate in-game interviews. And you while have. I would happily pay to hear the live mic commentary uh, of players during the games, like uh-huh. as a separate subscription – it's completely unnecessary. As a separate subscription, if you like, want to subscribe to in-game microphones, <laughs> like players might, I, I it would be hilarious. I, I think just to see what they're talking about. Uh huh. Um, but as Brad Marchand points out uh, in the article you grabbed, <laughs> what happens on the ice is supposed to stay on the ice. And the media jumping on an open mic with some in-game contrived to put players off their game uh, commentary uh, from, you know, various players. I think Brad Marchand had absolutely the perfect response in saying that it's irrelevant. We're not going to talk about it. Those, Those mics shouldn't be open. It should not be open to the public. And leaving it there and refusing to engage on the topic. I absolutely loved it because Brad Marchand was 100% right. I agree with that. I mean, the, the trouble is that in the very ne- in one of the very next paragraphs, it says that, oh, he was mic'd up for the game. That's actually a different thing because the players are aware that they're wearing that microphone. They're going to couch. Like, you don't you don't hear the players cursing that are wearing those live mics. They know they're wearing them. They're aware of it. But those live mics that like Ray Ferraro sitting between the benches or having, having a reporter standing and, and, and no offense to Emily Kaplan, she does her job. She does it well, but do we really need her interviewing Montgomery or Maurice or whoever else? in the middle of a game while they're supposedly trying to focus on what's happening on the ice. And 
then, oh, they forget to turn their microphone off and suddenly they're picking up live chatter that isn't intended for the audience. Nope. Yeah, no, I, 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 the, the miking them up for Saturday sound or whatever, you know, because like I said, they're aware of it. They're going to let you in on what they're doing, but they're aware that the microphone's there. The, the live mics thing is on the side, on the benches and stuff. No, those need to go. And we're going to engage in something we haven't done in many, many, many years as we wrap the show. Okay. We're going to talk about a topic for the very first time. Is that even possible? We've discussed quite a few topics. Look, when it comes to hockey, we have been everywhere and back a thousand times and more. (laughs) We've talked about college hockey, high school hockey. Uh, junior A, Junior B. We've talked hockey. about Canadian high school hockey, American high school hockey. We've talked about the junior leagues in Europe and Asia. We've talked about the Japanese and Chinese hockey leagues. Uh, we've talked about the Olympics. We've talked about the World Championships. We've talked about the World Cup of Hockey. We've talked about the PHF. We've talked about the other women's leagues. We've talked about women's college hockey. We've talked about men's uh, sledge hockey. We've talked about um, yeah. Colton Orr as a high-level PHF coach. We've talked about um, Willie O'Ree. We've talked about uh, off-ice everything, including stuff that just makes me sick to talk about. But we have never talked about the women's sledge hockey championship which is coming to the greater Green Bay area again for the second year, uh, this August 31st through September 3rd. Um, So the Paralympics uh, have added this as a new event. There are going to be teams representing the whole world, um, USA, Canada, Great Britain, Team Asia, Team Europe. um, And you're going to get to see this tournament uh, from August 31st to September 3rd. This article came out um, May 3rd. It was published to World Para Ice Hockey. Um, as we talked about, as I mentioned, it's the second year of this. Um, and this is this is this is a big deal for women's hockey. It gives more availability, more visibility, and I, I think it's a big deal for women's sports in general. Um, I mean, women's sports do not get the attention and there are still less opportunities, both in the U.S. and abroad. Um, The fact that women who have been through some sort of traumatic injury or debilitating illness uh, can still play world class sports. Kind of huge. I think this is great. I mean, <laughs> anytime you can get more people involved in the game of hockey and the more inclusive this game becomes, uh, whether it's uh, individuals who have uh, injuries that, that, that don't allow them to skate upright or whatever the case may be, this is awesome. <laughs> and now we've got a world tournament to celebrate it. Yeah, and 
you may or may not have heard of this teeny tiny company who's sponsoring the tournament. Uh, Citigroup. Yeah, they're kind of teeny tiny. They, you know, they don't have too many employees, and they're <laughs> no, not, they're, they're not. They, they don't have like a global footprint or anything like that. But you know, oh wait, I mean, they only do business in 160 or so countries and jurisdictions. So you'll pardon. I'll pardon anyone who hasn't heard of them. Um, but, but yeah, but that being is, said, they have a global head of sponsorships, entertainment, and experiential. But they're a tiny little company, but they have a global head of sponsorships. <laughs> yeah, very tiny company. In fact, like each of their 16 employees covers 10 countries. I think that's how the math works out. Oh, OK. Yeah. This is awesome. This is brilliant. I love it. And there you have it. Um, oh, last call. I, have I thought a, we were done. But no, I have a last call. Go ahead. Um, wanted to talk about a player I saw, um, in, in highlight reels, uh, as I was watching hockey this week, um, Austin Garrett has a pretty interesting profile up on him over at smart hockey or rather smart scouting, S M A H T scouting.com. Um, this was put up last year. Um, Cole Knubel, um, born July 1st, 2004, 175 foot, 175 pounds, uh, 5 foot 10. He's headed to University of Notre Dame uh, for the 23-24 season. Had 66 points in 57 games for the the Fargo Force of the USHL. Like, his... One of the interesting things, even though he's ranked fairly low, 105th uh, among U.S. skaters by Central Scouting, uh, is here's the uh, from the directly from the scouting report. Scouting report. Um, I would say that the strength of Knubel's game is that he is the engine of everything that happens for Fargo at even strength. It is not shocking to me that of players that have scored more than 25 points, according to pick 20, uh, 224, he sits fifth in the USHL in percentage of points scored as primary points. He's ahead of such names as Logan Cooley, Rutger McGrody, and Adam Ingram, uh, and others in that department. Logan Cooley was, was very near the top of the draft when he was taken. Um from the rest of the scouting report, no, I don't expect him to be taken in the in the first round or the second round. I think that someone has the potential to get really, really, really lucky and look like a bleeding genius if they grab him in the third or fourth round and put him in the hands of a talented skating coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's the biggest knock on his game is he, he is not a skater, a good skater. But we've seen not good skaters turn that around uh, if they put the work in. I think, uh, first of all, he was draft eligible last year and not taken. Yeah, this so, is his second year. It's okay. Yeah. The one, the, the first thing that I found interesting is that 
Austin Garrett here, the scouter, the scout who's writing the report, was actually not there to see Cole Knubel. Yep. He was actually there to watch a different player from the opposing team. On, on Cole Knubel was on the opposing team from the player or players that he was actually supposed to be watching. <laughs> and yet he goes and writes this this draft report and it is very it is very very in depth uh, he he doesn't hold back where his skating is concerned he has he needs to that's clearly his number one area of uh, improvement or needs improvement but hey you can't the the, the one thing they say you can't teach uh you can't teach size or you can't. I mean, he's not even that big of a guy. He's you can't teach brains. Like, I think that's what it is, is you can't teach. There's something to be said for innate. Uh, the in, the intangibles, the the innate sense, the innate hockey sense. And his dad was. Was it his dad? Mike, Mike Knubel, his dad. Yes. I mean, Go back and watch some of the 700-pound line <laughs> when Mikey was playing. I'm sure that I'm sure that some of that had to have rubbed off over the course of uh, 18, 19, 20 years. <laughs> oh yeah, and his dad is uh, Mike Kadubel has been 19. coaching, has been the assistant coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins uh, since the 2014-15 season. Um, I think now that his kid is heading to college, uh, he might just become available to NHL teams. Um, uh, and he's got ties to a couple of cities. Obviously, oh. he played for the Red Wings and the Rangers. But he actually he actually spent a good deal of time in Boston, good deal of time in Philly, and finished his career – well, actually – he went to Washington before finishing his career in Philly in twelve thirteen. Um, Cole is on his way to Cole is on his way to University of Notre Dame. So, yep, decent hockey program there. So he'll he'll certainly come out of there having learned something. Yes, hopefully improved skating is one of the two or three things that he works on. Um, uh, not a top program, but with that transfer. Um, new transfer policy for hockey. He could be playing in Hockey East, or he could be playing for Colorado uh, two years from now, or for Michigan, or wherever. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah. And yeah. again, yeah. I think that some team that has that is willing to wait a year or two on him, or maybe as many as four. Um, you could do worse to, than to throw a third or fourth round pick at him. And you know what? If he's still there in the fifth or sixth round and you don't grab him for a guy who's rated that high for hockey IQ, you're dumb. He's clearly his hockey IQ is higher than yours. I mean, Notre Dame's not necessarily a top tier program, but they do have players that progress to the NHL. We've talked about a couple of them here in the past. Uh, Cal Peterson, goaltender for the uh, Anders Bjork, yep. who played here in Boston. Um, Jake Evans, who plays in Montreal. I mean, that's yep. just three. I mean, 
players from Notre Dame do make recent ones, which is interesting. Players from Notre Dame do make the NHL. So it's not like he's going to some subpar school. He's just not going to a school that's perennially considered one of the favorites to win a national championship. It's a decent program over there at Notre Dame. He's he's going to come away with having learned something. <laughs> uh, my last bit, just and it's very quick. I just wanted to say um, thank you. And it's sad to see you go because a powerhouse high school here in the state of Massachusetts, uh, and by powerhouse I mean. Hockey-wise, the the school that I attended, the the Matinon High School, which is now called the the Cambridge Matinon School, is closing its doors after 75 years permanently uh, due to financial issues and whatnot. But this is a school that has dominated hockey. Um, former NHL, uh, there have been. And it says on our website, dozens of uh, Channel 5, dozens of NHL draft picks have come from Matinon, uh, including players Tom O'Regan, Nico Dimitrakos, who I knew, um, Boston Bruins player Steve Leach, and uh, some guy named Sean McEachern, who I actually went to school with. I was there while he was there. Uh, won a Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins back in 92. It's hard to see anything that you're familiar with close and, 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 and that chapter closes, but this one's a little bit more difficult just because formative years, playing hockey, watching it. So I just want to say thank you and uh, good luck in future endeavors to Horahan, uh, Mr. Horahan, the president. He is actually a graduate of the school back in 89. He was a sophomore while I was there, so... Thank you and uh, farewell. And that, hockey fans, is where we leave you. Uh, There is hockey uh, going on somewhere most of the time. You just have to look for it. Take care.